Alrighty, we're in Advent, the moment before the moment, which means we're in Narnia. Uh, this year, which means we're in the Silver Chair, which isn't, it's not the most famous of the Chronicles of Narnia, but it's, it's, they're all good. They've just got different things happening. We're, in, uh, we're not in those places aimlessly, though. Joy to the world, we sing, the Lord has come, let earth, earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. We're in that let every heart prepare kind of season. Advent's the season of preparation for Christmas as we get closer to Christmas. Uh, we're preparing our hearts. Uh, in Advent, we're invited to lift up our eyes, to lift up our expectation, to lift up our hopes, to, uh, to let hope arise, I guess you could say, to allow longings to develop. Advent's an invitation, though, to allow appropriate longings to develop. Uh, anyone that's got kids knows when they tell you what they want for Christmas, best not to go out and buy that for them. Because by Tuesday, it'll have swapped to something else. By Wednesday, it'll have swapped to another thing. By three weeks from now, and then probably on Christmas Day, even though on Christmas Eve, they told you exactly what they wanted, you went and got it. And then on Christmas morning, they're like, that's not what I was wanting. Um, That's just the reality of that countdown to Christmas. But in our lives... We have all sorts of longings and anticipation and expectations and those things that we're looking for. We want God to do this or this or this. Advents this invitation to go, well, what are you really longing for in life? What are you really hoping for in life? Uh, Because Christmas in one sense is a whole lot of um, unmet expectations for many in Israel who are expecting somebody that was going to conquer the Roman Empire and turn things around. Christmas was very disappointing. Uh, The new king born today in a manger... Surrounded by donkeys was very uninspiring. Uh, a king that would say, "Hey, let's not take up, you know, let's not take up the sword. Let's love our enemies and love our neighbours and all these kinds of things." Very disappointing Messiah. Uh, and yet Jesus was revolutionising all of human history. And, and we're invited during Advent to, "Hey, what is it that I really am hoping for and longing for? Peace on earth. What would that look like?" Kind of thing. And that's the journey of Advent. But we're in the Chronicles of Narnia, and the story is many things. Uh, notably, it feels like discipleship in the mists of confusion. Not mids, well, that would work too, but mists, that misty kind of confusion. The whole story is wet and damp and swampy and cold and dark. Chronicles of uh, the Silver Chair is set in moonlight rather than in sunlight. It's, there's this whole kind of feel to the book. Uh, and perhaps it's the appropriate one to be in when we're navigating a, glo- a global pandemic, which doesn't feel so sunlighty at the moment kind of thing. Uh, maybe it's just the right one to be in this year. Uh, we've got Eustace, Jill, Puddleblum, who's a marsh wiggle. Uh, they're on a quest to find Caspian's long-lost son, Prince Brilliant. And there's twists and turns along the journey. Uh, twists and turns that are all the more complicated because they don't pay attention to the signs that Aslan gives them. Uh, they forget the words that Aslan has spoken. Uh, your journey, my journey, there's always going to be twists and turns and highs and lows and complexities. Made all the more complicated. When we forget the things that God's laid on our hearts or spoken to us about or promised or, or, or revealed to us. And even, you know, decades ago, something that was kind of, we just knew that we knew God was speaking kind of thing. And then after time, we kind of forget that because it hasn't unfolded in our scheme of things or timeline or preferred order. And uh, all the more complicated when we forget the words of Christ in our heart. Uh, so we're called to devotion. We're called to remember the promises of God, the words of God, the faithfulness of God throughout Advent. But that was the sermon from last year. So uh, last week, we'll go to this week's one today. I'm reading from the Silver Chair. About nine o'clock next morning, three lonely figures might have been seen picking their way across the shrivel by the shoals and stepping stones. It was a shallow, noisy stream, and even Jill was not wet above her knees when they. Re- uh, even Jill was wet above her knees when they reached the northern bank. 
there's, there's all sorts of things. And they're, they're journeying across a land to find Prince Rillian. They've got to find some giants along the way or something. But always, it's, it's always through swampy lands. And they're always wet up to their knees kind of thing. It's that, that, you know, that boggy, marshy feel to the whole book. Um, but nevertheless, uh, where are we? It was shallow, noisy stream, blah, 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 blah. About 50 yards ahead, the land rose up to the beginning of the moor, everywhere steeply and often in cliff, cliffs. And they're keeping their eyes out for giants because they've been warned of giants. It was good springy ground for walking and a day of pale, warm winter sunlight. When they halted in the middle of the morning for a rest and a drink in a little hollow by a stream, Jill was beginning to feel that she might enjoy adventures after all. And she said so. We haven't had any yet, said the marshal. <laughs> that's puddle glum. We have, I think I quite enjoy adventures. We haven't had any yet. So there you go. That's, you know, puddle glum's rather gloomy. Uh, walks after the first halt. Like school mornings after break or railway journeys after train, changing trains never go on as they were before. When they set out again, Jill noticed that the rocky edge of the gorge had drawn nearer and the rocks were less flat, more upright than they had been. In fact, they were like little towers of rock and what funny shapes they were. I do, I do believe, thought Jill, that all the stories about giants might have come from those funny rocks. If you were coming along here when it was half dark, you could easily think those piles of rocks were giants. Look at that one now. You could almost imagine that the lump on the top was a head. It would be rather too big for the body, but it would do well enough for an ugly giant. And all that bushy stuff, I suppose that's heather and bird's nest, really. Well, that would do quite well for hair and a beard. And the things sticking out on either side are quite like ears. They're horribly big, but then I dare say giants would have big ears, like elephants. And oh, her blood froze. The thing moved. It was a real giant. There was no mistaking it. She had seen it turn its head. She had caught a glimpse of the great, stupid, puff-cheeked uh, puff face. All the things were giants, not rocks. There were 40 or 50 of them, all in a row, obviously standing with their feet on the bottom of the gorge and their elbows rested on the edge of the gorge, just as men might stand leaning on a wall. Lazy men on a fine morning after breakfast. Keep straight on, whispered Puddleglum, who had noticed them too. Don't look at them, and whatever you do, don't run. They'll be after us in a moment. So they kept on, pretending not to have seen the giants. It was like walking past the gate of a house where there is a fierce, where there is a fierce dog, only worse. There were dozens and dozens of these giants. They didn't look angry or kind or interested at all. There was no sign that they had, been seen, that they had seen the travellers. Then suddenly, whiz, 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 some heavy object came hurtling through the air and with a crash, a big boulder fell about 20 spaces ahead of them. And then thud, another one fell 20 feet behind. Whiz, 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 flying rocks. They were ducking for cover, their lives hanging in the balance. Uh, this is the first encounter that Eustace and Jill and Puddleglum have with giants in the silver chair. Um, this is, the, this is the first group of giants. The second group are the giants of Harfang, which is a, is a castle. Um, the giants of Harfang, they come at the recommendation of a strange woman dressed in green. Uh, you and I would be able to tell it's the Wicked Witch, but they're only kids and they didn't know that she thought she was friendly. But she was recommending that they discover, they find these giants of Harfang and they, and they go and hang out with them, uh, that they spend some time with them. Uh, she, this is her talking, this is the Emerald Queen talking to the kids about the giants, the other giants. I'll be free with my counsel, she declares to the travellers. I have often heard the name of the giantish city ruinous, but never met any who would tell me the way. 
This road leads to the Burr and Castle of Harfang, where, the, where dwell the gentle giants. They are mild, civil, prudent, and courteous, as those of uh, Ettensmore are foolish, fierce, savage, and given to all beastliness. Those are the giants the kids have just encountered. Now she's talking about these other giants. And in Harfang, you may or may not hear tidings of city ruinous, but certainly you shall find good lodging and merry hosts. You would be wise to winter there, or at least to tarry there certain days for your ease and refreshment. There you shall have steaming baths, soft beds, and bright hearths. And the roast and the baked and the sweet and the strong will be on the table four times a day. That sounds all right, eh? The roast and the baked and the sweet and the strong will be on the table four times a day. So we've got these kids and they have this encounter with these two groups of giants. One group of giants is hurling rocks at them, throwing rocks at them as they're making their travel. The other group of giants are these friendly giants. These giants they're invited to, to spend the winter with. They'll, they'll, they'll feed you, they'll look after you, they'll keep you warm and cosy, they'll, they'll put meals on the table four times a day. Beastly savage giants and civil courteous giants. Beastly savage giants and civil and courteous giants. There's a twist though. The twist is that the giants that are throwing the rocks don't even know that there's travellers walking along a path. They're playing a game where there's another pile of rocks and they're just trying to hit that pile of rocks. The giants are completely oblivious to Eustace and Jill and Puddleglum, these travellers. They're just playing their own game, throwing rocks at those rocks and whoever hits the rock first wins the game. They know nothing about the kids and the travellers. Meanwhile, the giants throwing a feast they don't let on that the main dish at the feast will be baked children and poached marsh wiggle. Uh, they're feeding up four meals a day to get these kids nice and, nice and healthy for the, uh, the winter feast. Um, Jill ends up looking at the cookbook and it's how to cook millard, which is I think a type of duck, then how to cook man, and then how to cook marsh wiggle. And she's like, um, these giants may not be the friendliest giants after all kind of thing. That's the kind of twist in the story. I wonder how often in life we suppose we're battling giants that are out to get us. How often we suppose we're battling giants that are out to get us. When in actual fact, the supposed giant that we're battling knows nothing of our existence and is simply doing its natural giant thing. Perhaps COVID-19 is a giant that we feel we're fighting but it's actually a virus that doesn't know anything about you or care about you and is just doing its virusy thing. Isn't actually out to get you, but we've got to work out how to navigate it. Maybe it's house prices. House prices are the giant that is out to get you. Or it could be interest rates at the moment. Interest rates! I see where they're heading. It's the giant that's out to get you and you feel like you're battling that giant. But it's, it's just house prices and interest rates doing the things that they do. You could go and interview interest rates. And uh, they wouldn't know your name or who you are or where you live or have you in mind. They're not actually out to get you. Could be the fatigue of parenting small children. Small children can feel like giants, the enemy. <laughs> you just need to mold and shape to fit how you would like them to fit your life a little bit better. Maybe they're just kids living their life, doing their thing, outworking their personality, and they don't realize that you see them as a giant that's attacking you and they're just living their best life now and it's tricky and it's really tiring when you've got small children. Perhaps it's the complexity of a relationship. This relationship is killing me. It's a giant. I'm rebuking it. Maybe, maybe it's just 
humans are complex things and it's, you just got to learn how to kind of roll with it and go with it and figure it out. Perhaps it's the challenges of a slow metabolism. Perhaps it's the mists of confusion that swirl at certain times. Sometimes life gets confusing. That's the nature of life, that sometimes it gets confusing. Imagine if this whole adventure called life was really simple, straightforward, all made sense. A walk in the park and lawn bowls in the evening. Um, I don't know if that'd be the adventure that we really kind of would be hoping for and anticipating. Life gets complex. But maybe the complexity is not out to get you. Maybe it's just inherent to the reality of life. But we find ourselves feeling like it's something to be fought, to be rebuked, to be dealt with via prayer and fasting or who knows what. Only for it to be just the reality of life that knows not your name and is simply doing its thing. A tree falls across a trail. If if you're going for a bushwalk and you come around the corner and there's a tree falling across the trail... I'm guessing, because I know Saint, I know the St. Luke's people pretty well. I'm guessing you're not going to get your lunch and give it to the birds so that you can fast and pray and rebuke and fight against this tree that's... I, th- I think you're probably going to go, oh, it's a tree that's fallen across the trail. We need to navigate that. We need to figure out, could we go up that way or could we go down this way? Or could we duck under or could we go over? It's just the reality of life. Sometimes, though, there's things we think are giants that are just realities of life and we spend a lot of energy fighting them then i wonder at the same time how often it is that we suppose that we've found steaming baths soft beds bright hearths salvation in life or at least a supposed salvation and fail to realize that we're being led astray that by something that could devour us without us even realizing it whatever the lady had intended by telling them about halfing the actual effects on the children was a bad one They could think about nothing but beds and baths and hot meals and how lovely it would be to get indoors. They never talked about Aslan or even about the lost prince now. And Jill gave up her habit of repeating the signs. She said to herself at first that she was too tired, but all too soon she just forgot about it. I wonder how often in life it is that we think we're fighting a giant and we're putting all our energy into that, but it's just the circumstances and realities of life. Other times we think we've found salvation and all will be well in the world. And actually it's something that is leading us off down the garden path or into destruction or into something that will devour us in the end. And it's really subtle. You've got to, like, you know, only you can live your life to work out what those things might be and how that might work. But I think C.S. Lewis in these two contrasting giants is articulating something of what the journey of life is like, especially in the mists of confusion it's exhausting in life to fight against something that must simply be navigated it's exhausting in life to fight against something that must simply be navigated to fight against the contours of the land or the vagaries of time and chance to fight against immortality to fight against the aging process To fight against human finiteness ultimately ends up being to fight against life itself. It's exhausting to try and fight against the things that are just the things that come with life. And then it's deadly to find salvation in the arms of that which must be resisted. False gods, false idols, false riches, false promises. But of course it's it's subtle and it's tricky to work out what could be what and which situation. But you think of a sailing ship. With a, with a 
big, huge gale blowing at it, it's really hard for the yacht to sail straight into the wind. Actually, it ends up being exhausting and fruitless. Somehow you've got to work with the wind, not against Matthew chapter 2. We have Magi. We've got wise men. Magi? 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 Wise men. In search of the newborn king of the Jews. Interestingly, on one occasion, these guys find themselves in the court of King Herod. And then on another occasion, down a back alley in Bethlehem where it's dark and crowded and shepherds and, you know, not the best place to be. On the face of it, for the wise men, the king's court looks like their space, their place, their territory. Fine wine, fine drink, fine clothes, all of the things that they're used to as, as people of affluence. Affluence? Not affluence, affluence. <laughs> A back alley with shepherds, it's not the place for wise men to be. Uh, Shepherds in first century Israel are the the rough and tumble of society. They're the drinkers, the foul mouths, the brigands and the brawlers. They're the the folk that, it's better to have them out in the hills looking after the sheep than here in the city. And we'll send them all out in the hills together and they can fight lions and bears and look after sheep rather than do interpersonal stuff because they're not kind of wired for that. The shepherds are not the uh, yeah they're not the farmers of today, Craig. Shepherds are the they're not the they're, they're not the um, the champions of society. So if you're wise men travelling with gold and frankincense and myrrh and fine riches, probably down dark alleys with shepherds is not the recommended space to be. You should stick stick with the nobility, stick with Herod, stick with Herod's court. The twist, of course, though, is the rough and tumble shepherds are fellow worshippers. Whereas the court of Herod, in the court of Herod, they're dancing with the devil. Not all is as it appears. Herod has murder on his mind. Matthew chapter 2, the Magi, the wise men, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. Not Herod, Jesus. With gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Walks after the first halt, like school mornings, after break, or railway journeys after changing trains, never go as they were before. Wise men on this journey, they have this halt, they go home a different way. Advents are called to look beyond the obvious. Not all is as it appears. It's a season in which we align our hopes and longings with those of the divine. But that can be a hard thing to do when we're walking in the mists of confusion. Fighting giants that are really just the contours of life. Not an entity that's out to get you. Finding comfort in that which will actually devour you without you realising. Again, I mentioned saying I don't have a huge amount of experience as a sailor, but I've been sailing enough times to know that when you've got a headwind and you're trying to head into it, you just can't do that. You, you have to tack. You have to work with the wind. You have to crisscross. Maybe it's I've just watched enough America's Cup. Um, to, to be able to navigate that. America's Cup, that's the everyman sport, I reckon. America's, America's cop, cop yachting. Isn't it amazing? My, you know, football and rugby and all these other sports, the red cricket, most of the reason we're into it is like, because we have, I did that at school. I played cricket at school, so now I can watch the Black Caps. Well, I don't because it's depressing. But, you know, I, I played rugby at school, now I can watch yachting. We didn't, we didn't grow up yachting. It's like it's in every New Zealander, we watch the yachting, we love yachting. Like only 1% of us have ever yachted, but we were right into it. Anyway. You learn enough to know you can't, you can't go with the headwind. You've got to change tack. 
hard to sail into a headwind. You have to work with the wind, not against it. Fighting a person. Maybe the giant you perceive as this particular person. And you're fighting, willing them to change. Praying to God that God will change them. Trying to change them yourself. Using passive-aggressive tactics to change them. Using more aggressive tactics, uh, uh, tactics to change them. Using social media to change them. Using whatever to change them. You're fighting against them. You've got to win this fight. You've got to, they're against you. You've got to battle it. Maybe they're just who they are and you've got to learn how to work with them. Change tack rather than fight against. Pray about how you could come alongside. Fighting a season. Fighting the Christmas season. Maybe that's not your kind of a season. Fighting darkness. Fighting exhaustion. Sometimes we have seasons that are just exhausting. A dead end season. A season of less rather than more. Fighting against them. Trying to get this thing turned around. Seasons have a tendency to come right in their own time. In their own course. Irrespective of what you do or don't do. It can be exhausting to fight the season and fail to realize, oh, maybe this is just the season that God's landed me and I actually have to walk slowly this, through this season. Be present to Christ in this season. What would Christ like to speak to me about in this season rather than somehow fast track to get to the next season? Conversations to be had that can only be had in that kind of a season. Confessions to be made that can only be made in that kind of a season. Things to learn that can only be learnt in that kind of a season. Fight against it. We're trying to fast track it. But actually there's a purpose to the season. Comfort to be found in that season that can only be found in that kind of season. Maybe your life is the, feels at the moment like the season before the season. Like it's stuck in the moment before the moment. And you'd love to get from this season into the season. We'd love to get from this moment into the moment. You can't hurry that. You can't speed that along. Yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoicing. But at the moment it's yonder breaks the new and glorious morning. Not here it is, right? I mean we sing about it today because we do one and then we do three and then four. Yonder breaks. It's still something off in the horizon. And Advent reminds us that the newness of God breaking out is often just off in the horizon. We have to be faithful in the present moment. Fighting giants that are just contours of life. Finding comfort in distractions that will devour you. Snuff out the life of Christ. They never talked about Aslan or even the lost prince. Jill gave up repeating the signs to herself. At first because she said she was tired, but then she just forgot about it. Eustace, Jill, Puddleglum, they're on an adventure to rescue Prince William. It's a journey, though. It's always a journey. These kind of adventures, they're always, it's the hero's journey. It's never the hero, you know, even in the movies, in the modern movies where they sit down and they plug in, like the Matrix or, or surrogates or different things like that, even then the hero is not sitting in the chair. They're plugged into something that takes them on a journey, an adventure. It's always a journey. It's always the hero's journey. In a journey, there's always a temptation to sit down, to park, to put your feet up, to rest. And there's nothing wrong with moments of doing that. And maybe today, right now, you need to park, put your feet up, take a rest, have a nap. Sam Harvey, what does he always say? Nothing like a, a snack and a nap. <laughs> Talk about Elijah. Elijah, uh, God came and the ravens fed him. He had a nap and then God brought food. So it's, it's, it's a snack and a nap is very, very biblical. 
But in a journey, you can't park up. You can't stop. You can't set up a camp. The minute you set up a camp and build a bit of a structure and nail some things in, it's like, well, it's a bit harder to move on now. I've kind of, kind of, you know, journey that call us to keep on walking. We give up on the journey. We think we've made it, but we're slowly being devoured without even realizing it. Beds, baths, hot meals, and how lovely it would be to be indoors. But the giants had a cookbook. Mallard, man, and marshwiggle, baked and poached. Evan, though, asked us to hold on to God's promises and to keep on walking. To keep on walking, to keep on journey, to keep on moving. Joseph and Mary heading towards Bethlehem, quite pregnant, on a donkey. At least in the movies. Well, quite pregnant in real life. I don't know if they had a donkey or not. Keep, kept on going. Kept on going. Faithful to the journey. Which is not about location. I'm not saying that you need to shift and move and go elsewhere. What I'm saying is that the journey is, no matter where I am, even if we're anchored and we've found a home and this is our place, but my life, my heart, my spirituality, my faith in Christ is still on a journey. I'm still growing and learning and following. Nemo. Nemo? Not, not Neo, Nemo. We've gone from the Matrix to the goldfish. Dory, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Advent's that season of, oh, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just, just, just keep swimming. Today's the second Sunday of Advent. The theme is peace. Sometimes, though, we don't want peace. We want conflict. We want an enemy. We want a target. Conflict, an enemy, a giant to fight, gives us an excuse, gives us a reason, gives us someone to blame, takes away the responsibility. I would be carrying on in my journey. I would be progressing to Bethlehem. I would keep on swimming, but you don't understand one of my kids, honestly, or my in-laws, or the guy I work across from, whatever it might be. It's easier to have someone to fight because if there's someone to fight, then there's someone to blame and then you don't have to engage. You can do, well, I'm just going to park up here because I've got this giant that's out to get me. And if you start to see it not as a giant, but as just a contour to be navigated and change tap kind of thing, then it's like, what's my excuse for not keeping on, keeping on then? Yeah, it's the Sunday of peace and sometimes peace is a call to lay down arms and to change tack rather than to fight, to fight, to fight. Enemy, we become consumed with conflict. Peace, though, is about gardening and building and planting and growing and developing and being developed. And that's hard going. That's hard going because it's slow and it takes a commitment and there's no adrenaline to run on. You've just got to be faithful to the process. Fighting, you can just kind of, the adrenaline kicks in and you have a row and then you've got your excuses. It's the slow work of discipleship rather than the negative energy of a good fight. True life, though, abundance of life, fullness of life, is found not in a great big giant hunt. It's found in faithfully following Jesus and changing tack as the complexities of life unfold. Being open to the work of the Spirit in every situation and circumstance in life. All right, let's stand to our feet. Hope, peace, joy, love in Christ. Upon the, oh, we've got Psalm 27, verse 13, 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. My only caveat is that sometimes there are giants that need fighting. 
We've got to figure that out. My Advent sermon today, though, is maybe what you think is a giant is not a giant. It's just the contours of life. may need to change too. Let me close with prayer. As you go this morning, may your eyes be open to see beyond the obvious. May you go with a fresh awareness of the depth, the wonder, the love and mystery of God at work in your life and in the world. If you're fighting giants that are in fact just the contours of life, change tack. Find in Christ not the energy of a fight, but the transformative power of hope, peace, joy and love. In the mists of confusion, look beyond the obvious. Not all is as it appears. Know that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And may you know in this season the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit is your own. In Jesus' name. Amen.